Old Testament lesson this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. After these events, the Lord's word came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, afraid Abram. I'm your protector. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you possibly give me since I still have no children? The head of my household is Eliezer, a man from Damascus. He continued, since you haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. The Lord's word came immediately to him. This man will not be your heir. Your heir will definitely be your very own biological child. Then he brought Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If you think you can count them, he continued. This is how many children you will have. Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. He said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chandians to give you this land as your possession. But Abram said, Lord God, how do I know I will actually possess it? He said, bring me a three-year-old female calf, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. He took all of these animals, split them in half, and laid the halves facing each other, but he didn't split the birds. When vultures swooped down on the carcasses, Abram waved them off. After the sun set, Abram slept deeply. A terrifying and deep darkness settled over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, have no doubt that your descendants will live as immigrants in a land that isn't their own, where they will be oppressed slaves for 400 years. But after I punish the nation they will serve, they will leave it with great wealth. As for you, you will join your ancestors in peace and be buried after a good long life. The fourth generation will return here since Amorites' wrongdoing won't have reached its peak until then. After the sun had set and darkness had deepened, the smoking vessel with a fiery flame passed between the split open animals. That day the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's good to be with you again. Um, I didn't expect to be back so soon after just being here a few weeks ago, but uh, it's a good place, and it drew me like a magnet to come right back here. So uh, good morning, and uh, welcome to worship this morning. I have to say, um, when Bob told me about this narrative lectionary that you folks will be going through as this new year-long process, I, I think it's amazing. As, as you heard me a few weeks ago say, I think reading the scriptures big is the thing that has been lost in so much of the church. And so Certainly there is great value in reading smaller parts of the Bible and, and understanding what God has in unique places, in, in the smaller stories, even particular sentences in small parts of the Bible. But all of that has to remain in the context of the overall story. And I'm, I'm excited for you that in the coming year, over the next weeks and months, you'll be looking at, at stories across the Bible, so you'll get a sense of the whole narrative flow of the Scriptures. This is a great gift because it's the, it's the big picture that makes sense of all the small parts that we read and benefit from. So, the story of Abraham. This is an interesting story. It's really kind of 
along the way in Abraham's story, which begins back in, in chapter 12. But before we get to that, I think it's important for us to go back to um, just review quickly where this story started and how the story of Abraham fits into the story that's already started and how this story today is really, it's one of the most crucial passages in the entire scriptures. Really, it sets the stage and the direction for all the story that's going to happen after this. Abraham and his family are the crucial players in the drama of God through the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible will be the story of Israel, Abraham's descendants. And everything that God decides to do for the world, he's going to do it through Abraham and his family. I don't know about you, I remember the very first time I really saw the stars, right? I mean, they're out every night. You know, I grew up in Denver, um, city lights, and, and you see a few stars, right? You see a few lights, but you don't really see the stars when you're in a city, do you? I can still remember clearly. My brothers and I were up in the mountains west of Denver at about 12 or 13,000 feet. We didn't really know anything about camping, right? We were teenagers, so we were just like hanging out, and we were going to sleep in the back of my dad's blazer, right? We didn't really know what, how to do this right out in the wilderness, even though we grew up close to the mountains. We'd never really camped before. But I had never really paid attention, apparently, before, like being outside of the city, being up in the mountains at a high altitude where the air is thin. And I just remember as it got dark, realizing I was seeing stars for the very first time. Like it, was, it blew me away. It's phenomenal how many stars there are when there are no, there's no light pollution to block the view, and you can really see what's up there. The Milky Way, I mean, it's amazing. There's, there's just so many, and it, it struck you. It's one of those things like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You're struck by the, just the immensity, the beauty, the vastness of them. So this is, this is what God uses to tell Abraham that the promises that he made to him are surely going to come true. Because already at this point, Abraham, bless his heart, he's an honest guy. And when God comes to him and says, I'm going to be your very great reward, Abraham, I am with you. Abraham is not afraid to tell God, hey, I want to believe you, but I'm having my doubts. Because there's some things that are supposed to be happening that aren't happening. Remember that thought. We're going to get back to that. Before we can really understand the story of Abraham, though, we have to remember that it's part of a story that's already started. You've already started the, the story of creation here. And, and I, I read Bob's sermon, so I know that you know that the creation was built to be God's temple. This is, a, this is an amazing thing. God made the whole creation, and the, and the seven-day story that we have in the ancient world, when a deity comes and takes up rest in a temple, right, that's what the Bible's referring to when he says God rested on the seventh day. This was God coming to earth to dwell with his people within his creation temple and take up residence with them in that temple. The whole world is meant to be God's temple, the place where he lives. We can see this because, just to jump ahead to the story you're going to get in the near future about Moses and the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, when God builds his tabernacle and then later in the land his temple, the place where his presence came down and dwelled with them, 
Do you know what the inside of that tabernacle and that temple were built with symbols? They were all about the creation. All the symbolism inside the tabernacle and the temple had to do with the creation. Because what God was doing was actually in microcosm showing that his intention is to dwell in the whole earth. The whole world is meant to be God's temple. It's like the phrase you read in the prophets, the whole earth will be full of his glory. That's God's intention when he made the world. And the story in the Bible is about God reclaiming that intention. So you know that creation is God's good place, the place he made to be our home, the place he wants to live with us. He wants to walk through the garden with us all the time. That's what he intended. But then the great rebellion happened. And Adam and Eve turned away from God's good ways and said, no, really, we want to be in charge, God. We want to do things our ways. And so the story got off track early in the Bible. It's amazing how quickly in the Bible things go south, right? I mean, it's got, the story's just getting started, and Adam and Eve derail what God's intention was. And evil has come into the world. And what we see immediately is evil is more than just a few people sinning now and then. As we see Cain rise up and kill his brother, and then we see Cain's descendants... Lamech and others, reveling in great evil, bringing vengeance. He operates by vengeance. He says, if somebody hurts me, I will repay them seven times. And so evil grows in magnitude. It's not just a little problem in the world. Evil is the thing that has destroyed God's creation. It entered, it, it ushered death into the world. And evil is the thing that God is trying to fight throughout the entire story of the Bible. So the, the big question, the surprise in the Bible is going to be, what is God going to do about evil? What is God going to do to get his story back on track? Because evil is rapidly out of control. Within a few chapters, we see God making the amazing statement that he regretted making humankind on the earth. He sends a great flood. He, he, he says, basically, I'm going to wash the entire earth of this great evil. And you think maybe the story is over. God seems to be like toying with the idea that maybe this whole thing was a mistake. But he saves one man and his family, Noah. So what God does in the Noah story, just before the Abraham story that we're going to talk about today, what God does in the Noah story is create and, and make a promise that there will be a place where this drama will play out. He makes promises puts the rainbow in the sky and says, my promise is that I will never destroy the earth again this way. So God makes a promise that whatever else happens, humanity, I am going to continue to work with you in this place and I will preserve this place. Then God has to, has to come back and say, okay, our question would be, what is God going to do about corrupt people? Adam and Eve brought sin into the story what is God going to do now that this infection has spread throughout all his creation? He saves the place. That's the Noah story. Now what about people? And this is where we come to the Abraham story. Back in chapter 12, a few chapters before our reading today, in chapter 15, we see God making his call to Abraham. And he calls him out of another land and says, I want to bring you and your family to a special place that I will give you, I've made a promise to preserve the whole creation, but I'm going to give you a special place within there, and you will be my people. 
So now we see the plan that God has, first of all, to preserve a place. Then he calls a man who will become a great nation and says, through you, this is crucial. This is crucial for the entire story of the Bible. Through you, I will bring blessing back to all the peoples on earth. Now this, that, that little phrase, that little promise at the beginning of the Abraham story is critical for us understanding the entire rest of the scriptures. It's foundational. Because what God is saying there is, okay, everything in my big story has gotten sideways. But what I'm going to do is not fix everything at once. Rather, I'm going to focus on fixing things with individual people, with a family, with his descendants. And I'm going to work within one narrow group of people in order to get things worked out so that eventually I can get back to bringing blessing to everyone. Now, I don't know if I should ruin the story or not or surprise you. You're going to get to it when you get to the New Testament. But maybe I'll give you a little hint. This, this family of Abraham, right, when it first happens, we're, we're led to think, well, it's about him and his physical descendants. But we will see in the New Testament that when this particular special child of Abraham is born, this Jesus the Messiah, we will see that actually all those who have the faith of Abraham are welcomed into the family of Abraham, no matter what physical descent they have. So that Abraham's family, the promise to God here is actually bigger than you will be a great nation with your physical descendants. The promise to Abraham, which we read clearly in the book of Romans and Galatians, is that God is going to make all the nations on earth potentially part of his family. If they have the faith of Abraham, all peoples are welcomed into the family of Abraham and are descendants of Abraham, and the promises to Abraham are true for them. That's what Paul writes to the Galatians. So that's where the story is going. It's a big plan in order to bring blessing back to the world. That's how God is going to defeat evil. He's going to work through this one nation, known as Israel, as the story goes along, and through them, he's going to work his will to figure things out. Now, the fact is, it's a long and tortuous story, right? When you're reading the Old Testament, it's hard going for Israel. Israel doesn't seem to be a great choice as a group of people for bringing God's will, God's blessing, God's life, God's salvation back into the world. But Israel is the group he chose. So all of this is happening in the background. And then we come to our passage today, right? Abraham, we now know, is chosen as the means by which God will bring blessing to the world. So Abraham goes. He follows first um, Terah, their, their bigger family, but they stop halfway. Abraham alone with his family, his wife and his nephew Lot, go into the land of Canaan. Right? God has already made his promise. From you, I will make a great nation. So now we come to chapter 15. And we see God starting that, that he reaffirms that promise. Abraham, I am your great reward. I will make you a great nation. And I love this. We read this in the passage. Abraham feels like he needs to tell God not just once but twice that actually the promise isn't working out the way it's supposed to yet. He says, But Abraham said, Lord God, 
What can you possibly give me since I still have no children? The head of my household is Eleazar, a man from Damascus. He continued. He just told him, you haven't given me any children. And he says, since you haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. Basically, he makes the same point twice to God. He's, Abraham is struggling at this point. He's obeyed God. He's made a wild risk. In the ancient world, to leave your people, to leave your land, it's a dangerous world. The way that you were protected, the way that you were safe was to stay with people who knew you, who had an attachment to you. And when you left and went out on your own, completely alone, just by yourself, you were subject to danger. And it was a, it was a, it was a big risk that Abraham was taking. So Abraham has already shown faith. But now he's saying to God, look, time is going by. Sarai and I don't have any children yet. So just, I'm just saying, God, at this point, right, the only one who's going to inherit anything from me is the servant in my household. So it's kind of like, God, what? what? What's going on? This, the evidence to Abraham is looking harder and harder, right? And, and Ab Abraham is looking for some reassurance from God. And actually, he's looking for, he's been believing the word of God. He's looking for something tangible that he can hang on to. This is what I love about the Bible. There's this big story going on, right? And we have to learn that story. We have to learn the shape of how the Bible works. But there's also very personal things for us in this story. So it's important for us to learn the role of Abraham and his family in the story of the Bible. But it's also important for us to learn how does Abraham handle it when things aren't working out the way he thought that they were supposed to work out, based on a promise from God. And so there are personal lessons for us in how Abraham lived this story. And one is, and I think sometimes we're not always sure that this is okay to do, it's okay to be honest with God about your disappointments. It's okay to say to God, God, I'm struggling with this. We don't have to always like play nice and good little people with God. God can handle our struggles. God can handle our disappointments with life. God can handle us being honest with him as long as we take it to him. That's the thing that we learn from Abraham. Take it to God and then, and then like, just, just bring it. Be honest with him and then, then look and listen to see what God will do with that. So this time, it's really interesting. We have this part of the story, which if, if you're not from the ancient world, you might say, what is going on with these animals and this ceremony, right? I mean, this is strange. We don't do this kind of thing anymore. We sign legal contracts. You know, when we buy a house or we make an agreement with somebody, we sign our name on papers. In the ancient world, they were much more dramatic about how they made promises and commitments and covenants to each other. So this time, Rather than simply reassuring Abraham with his words, God cuts a covenant with Abraham. I love it that this translation uses that phrase, because that's actually, it's, some translations say God made a covenant with Abraham. It's much more graphic and precise to say what actually happened. God cut a covenant with Abraham. So here's what it, what it means. And by the way, every sermon worth its salt, should have at least one phrase that you've never heard before, right? Some, some, big, some big thing that you've, you're like, what is that? I've never heard that before. Here's the phrase for today. God made a self-maledictory oath. 
to Abraham. All right, think about the parts of that. Self, maledictory. Mal is the word for bad, right? So what, what God said is, take these animals, cut them in half, lay the halves apart from each other and so that there's an aisle in between them. And then Abraham goes into this deep sleep. The presence of God came down in the form of a smoking fire pot and it passed between the parts of those animals. In the ancient world, that's called a self-maledictory oath. What that means is, may what, what, what happened to these animals, may this happen to me if I don't keep my word to you. That's how covenants were cut in the ancient world. So God is basically, this is astounding. The God of the universe who made this whole creation comes down and passes between the two halves of the cut animals, and he says to Abraham, you can be so sure that I'm going to keep my promise to you that you will be a great nation, not just through your servant, you know, the head of your household, but through somebody from your own flesh and blood. I know you're getting old, but Abraham, I'm going to do this. And he passes between the parts of those animals as if the God of the universe could be cut in half and destroyed. God says, this curse will be on me if I don't keep my word. So it's a visible, tangible demonstration to Abraham that we have a God who can be trusted. And Abraham, it says, again, a huge phrase in the whole story of the Bible. Abraham, it says, believed God, and God counted it to his credit. God counted it as righteous. Because he believed God, so Abraham still doesn't have any children. And it's interesting. The story goes on some more, and he still doesn't have children. It's going to get even harder for Abraham to believe. It's going to be harder for his wife to believe. She actually will laugh at one point because it's so hard to believe that this is actually happening. They're getting old. How are they going to have children? And it, it, it's great that this is at this foundational level in the Bible because this teaches us something so important about God and how he works, and how we have to believe things in spite of what our eyes are seeing at the moment. Sometimes things look impossible. But God is in control of this story. It's his story. The Bible is his script. He is going to make this happen. So that's the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham, which is important for the whole Bible, to know where the story is going. But the story of Abraham also for us. Is there anything in your life that is not working out the way you thought it was? It's funny, last weekend I had my 40th high school class reunion, right? So you know exactly how old I am now. And it's funny. I mean, I remember when we graduated from high school. Well, I was at a small school, Denver Christian High School. Um, we had about 63 kids in our graduating class, and we were pretty tight. So we've always had a good attendance at our class reunions, and we keep up with each other through the years. Facebook has made it even easier to stay caught up with people who are kind of in different parts of the world, which is pretty cool, actually. But one thing that struck me as I was walking away from the night um, after we had our dinner gathering and we, we spent the evening together, there was this kind of a tinge of sadness about some of it. I mean, there was kind of a realization for most of us. Some of us were talking about retirement, right? We're approaching 60. We're thinking about really the, the bulk of my life's work is, is done, like the direction of my life has been set. 
there were, there were people there who were saying, I made a lot of mistakes. And actually, I have a lot of disappointment at this stage. It's not like that day we graduated and threw our hats in the air in the gymnasium of at Denver Christian High School in South Denver, where everything is bright and it looks like it's your future and there's so many, so many options, so many great possibilities at that stage. When you get to the other end of your life, you kind of realize, yeah, there's been really good things, but there's, some, there's always some sadness. There's some things that didn't work out. Marriages that were broken, right? Career dreams that didn't happen. People who can't seem to find their way in the world and, and land well. People disappointed with, with tragedies that happened in their families. Children dying too young. Things that don't happen right in this world. And I just want us to hear today and to realize the story of God in the Bible is a story of long-term change. God didn't come into the story and just change everything all at once as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. As soon as sin and this rebellion entered into the world, God began working through a, a microcosm of people. One man, his family, and through them, and the, the story of, of those people, their kings, their prophets, finally the coming of Jesus, their Messiah, God makes a plan that is going to change the entire world one day. But in the meantime, we're living in the middle of the struggle. And like Abraham, we are going to see cases and times when, when life disappoints us. The thing we have to do then, sometimes in spite of the evidence that's right in front of our eyes, is believe God. I pray that we will be people of hope. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to his credit. God said, you are a righteous man because you trust in me. Even though you can't see how this is all going to work out, trust in me. And so my prayer for us today is that all of us will be people of that kind of hope, people of that kind of trust. When there are things in our life, sometimes caused by, by us ourselves, sometimes caused by circumstances outside of our control, when life isn't everything that we had hoped it would be, when we don't get what we thought we should get from life, from our family, from our spouse, from our children, from our job, disappointment can come in lots of different ways. In an election, may I say, right? We're worried about things in this country. There are things that aren't great. There are things that worry us at a big level and in a small level. But it's God's story. It's nobody else's story but God's. He's going to take care of us. Even when the worst happens, because of Jesus now, we know that God can even overcome death, and he will raise people back to life. He can do this. He will restore the world to what he intended it to be when he made it in the first place. We are all invited to join into his new creation project. God created the world. He had an intention for the world. He worked through Abraham and his family to restore the world, to bring blessing back to all people. This is the God that we serve and worship, the God who is in charge of this story. And so I invite you to be those people of hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love that you have given us this word, this story. Because of your word in the scriptures, we know that the story of the Bible, the story of the world, the story of your salvation is in your hands. We trust you with that story. We trust you with the story of the world, 
We trust you with the story of our own lives. We know that if we commit to following you, to believing in your promises, to following your ways, to loving your son, that things will be well for us in the end. It's a hard story, Lord. Our lives are difficult things at times. We face disappointments. We face expectations that are shattered, that don't come true. Father, keep us true to you. May we be like Abraham. May we be people of deep belief. May we be people of hope. Make it so in us. Amen.